Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown, Factor and Layman presented by Riverwind Casino. OU stuff. Agwebu, Harrison, Turk, it's watch list season for them. And we talk the latest in recruiting. Then Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt joins us to discuss why he believes OKC needs, needs a new basketball arena. And we talk some thunder with him. As always, we finish up with our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right? Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, July 27th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And the Beats and Bites Festival is rolling, people. Scotty McCreary, July 30th. $5 general admission and kids under 12 get in free. Going to be a ton of food trucks, all kinds of things for the kids to do, including face painting and an inflatable obstacle course. To buy tickets, visit riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this Wednesday afternoon. Please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We've got our first politician on the podcast, Ted. All right, let's go. But we don't talk about any politics. (laughs) I I will say, I, I will say, um, Mayor David Holt, Mayor of Oklahoma City, joined us to talk about the possibility of a new arena here in Oklahoma City, the future of Oklahoma City, the future of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I think it's going to be really informative for a lot of you. So I, I, I know it was informative for me. So I'm, uh, I'm excited for people to hear that, Ted. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, exciting times. And uh, yeah, Thunder, you can, you can point directly to almost the date where Oklahoma city started its major comeback. And hopefully uh, some people in leadership positions in the city of Norman, (laughs) maybe uh, take some notes about a new basketball arena. Just saying. That's right. That's right. 
that'd be uh that'd be nice. Uh, speaking of which, before we're so we're gonna jump into the OU football stuff, but thought it was important to talk about this first. OU received three hundred and seventeen million dollars in gifts and pledges over the last fiscal year, broke the previous record by eighty million dollars. Ted, uh, wonder why? Wow, that's that's a big, big number. Well. Yeah, there's been a lot happening over the the last year, right? The announcement to the SEC, the uh, you know softball, baseball, Lincoln Riley leaving, Coach Venables coming. I mean, there's there's been one event after another that are, is getting people excited about the future of Oklahoma football in in all sports. Yeah, so uh, it it appears that a fire has been lit under uh, OU's donors' asses. And all the things you mentioned have kind of contributed to that, to that flame that has been burning. And yeah, it's exciting. That is, we, we've talked a lot about the investment it's going to take for OU athletics to be where this fan base wants them to be. And it's going to continue to take significant investment. And it was, it was really cool to see that number because that is a big number and it needs to continue to get bigger and bigger. If we want these, this athletic program to keep doing. Well, Mega Millions is over a billion dollars, Gabe. If I win it, I I pledge right now one hundred million dollars to OU. You heard it here first, people. There you go. I I hope you win, man. That'd be great. That'd be great content. Yeah. I fantastic. If you did that, would you pay me enough money to where I didn't have to do the podcast anymore? What do you mean? Or would we just do it? We'd do it, of course. Okay. Okay. I just wanted but to make sure. I did. We'd I, do I, it from a yacht in the Caribbean, but we'd still do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's talk some OU football. And watch list season continues to roll on. This first one's interesting. David Aguebu, named to the Butkus Award watch list. Just a reminder that that goes to the best linebacker. In the country, if only anyone uh, had any experience with that, knew anything about that award. <laughs> Get see what I did there. Oh, it was nice. Good because you won it. Get it. Yeah. But yeah. listen, Aguebu, he looks as good as you can look in a jersey. But were you surprised at all that out of all the OU backers, he was the guy that was on the watch list? Yeah, I was. I was too. Um, you know, I, I think that he's got a lot of tools. He obviously you, you're talking about his size and athleticism and just a, a big, good looking athlete. He, you know, it was, it was a strange transition for him. He was an edge guy, then moved to inside backer, which is a totally different world. Um, you know, he came along, came along and I think he plateaued a little bit there. And I, I think what's held him back is you know, the, the extra things, it's not athleticism. It's, it's experience. It's understanding the framework of a defense. Like you, and you've heard me say it before. You have to speak the defense fluently. You can't think about it. If you think you turn, you take that six, five, 250 pounds and you turn it into just an ordinary guy off the street. That's, that's all you are. You're not, you, you're not able to use 
any of your assets. So he needs to really dig in and get that full grasp of what he's doing out there to where he can let those tools go. And I think he's got the, he, the ability to, and you know, if anyone can bring the talent out of, out of uh, linebackers, it's, it's Brent Venables and, you know, Ted Roof's going to be there day to day with those guys, but Venables is still going to have a massive influence over that, that position group. So um, it is surprising that he was the one picked. I don't think he's, I mean, I, I wouldn't qualify him as like, has been the starter yet. He, I think he started a couple of games, you know, and they rotated so much through there that it, you wouldn't really declare him as the starter. So um, it was interesting, but you know, Honestly, the watch list doesn't matter. If you play really good early in the season, you're going to find yourself uh, coming onto the watch list. It's not like it's eliminating the others. It's just kind of a, a broad announcement. So I'm happy for him. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely happy for him. But I, I just thought it was interesting. A guy that, let's face it, he just hadn't been very productive, mm-hmm. right? Does he have a higher ceiling than a Danny Stutzman? Uh, you've got a guy named Deshaun White that's played a lot of football. Can he take it to another level? So I thought that it was interesting that Aguebu, I guess they had to pick somebody. Right. right. And while we feel we feel really, really good about the level of talent they've got at the inside backer position, I guess it is a bit of a mystery who's going to emerge as the one or two, I mean, for back of, lack of a better term, alphas in that group. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know it, but I, you know, was Stutzman and Igwegbu, if Those were your two guys, which I don't think they will. I think they're both playing the mic, but like that would be a big looking inside uh, backer duo there. You know, Stutzman's well over six three. Igwegbu's massive. Both guys could run well, which you know that that whole position group athletically is really good there's a bunch of dudes in that room that can absolutely fly yeah all right on to the next watch list outland trophy which is awarded to the best interior offensive lineman or defensive lineman in the country and anton harrison finds himself on the outland trophy watch list this is a guy that from you know from every conversation i've had has a new mentality and I think that Brent Venable's message has really landed and has changed his approach. I think Jerry Schmidt has made him realize what it takes every single day to truly be great. And that's that's been drilled into him throughout the summer, right? Because it's an adjustment, especially for the big guys. It's an adjustment going into the Schmitty way of doing things but the guy's got all the tools, right? He's big, he's strong, he's athletic. But will the mentality continue to build? Will he continue to understand the effort it takes, the strain that it takes to be great? And that you can get by just on physical gifts, but if you want to be elite, you got to put it all together. It, it, does, it just doesn't happen because you're a really good athlete. And I do think just with watching a lot of Levy's offense over the last couple of weeks, I think the new scheme should benefit him. He's his own scheme tackle. Yeah. 
I, I think he's a zone scheme tackle. Use that athleticism, you know, outside zone, you know, mid zone, inside zone a little bit, but also some pin pull stuff, get him out on the edges. Like he's that type of guy. I think he's more comfortable. Now you're going to run some gap scheme stuff. There's no doubt, but I, I just feel like this new offense fits his skill set better. And it seems like he's, he's really developed some more confidence uh, over the off season. So I, I'm really excited to watch him play, man. I am. Yeah, uh, I am too. I know he's, he, he's been a work in progress, but he's got some really great tools to build on and, you know, just consistency and kind of just that attitude, like you talked about for him is, uh, is, is the real, real things there. But, you know, I think if he adapts well and the rest of this offensive line adapts well to the running scheme, that's going to be the real key. You know, the better you run the football, the better you throw the football. And if they can get that rolling where they're confident in it, they're eating up big chunks, they can always rely on it and go to it. It's going to make the, the pass game that much better. And in order to win these type of awards, right, when you, when you win the Outland Trophy, one of the things, dude, and I know this because I know people that vote for the Outland, they want to watch you against how, – how do you play against your best competition, right? So Anton Harrison, he's, he's going to have to play well against Will McDonald from Iowa State. A lot State of people. Kid. Yeah, Felix and UDK Uzama. Either he's going to have to play well against a guy, you know, you, you look at Felix, some people projecting him to be a first rounder. Yep. So you have to play at an elite level against those guys. If you want to win the award, even, a you know, Dante, Dante stills, and he's kind of an inside and outside guy, versatile piece there for West Virginia, but Colin Oliver has, yep. has developed quite the reputation as an edge rusher in his short career at Oklahoma state. So if he wants to win this award or be in consideration, you know, actually be discussed about it. Like you got to perform against those, uh, against the best talent that you're going to play against. And those yep. are those guys. So I, once again, can't wait to watch him in those battles. Yep. Oh, no, I, that those are going to be, those are going to be good battles. And uh, I just go back to, it's way easier to win those battles when you're running the football, because yeah. if you're not running the football and it's third and eight, well, guess what? You got sprinter stances over there on every single snap and here they come. They know you're throwing the football. Yeah, there's no doubt. All right. On to the next watch list. Your favorite, the Ray guy award watch list, best putter in the country. And our man, Michael Turk is on there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
in all seriousness, man, I think if if I had to bet on an OU player winning a national award, I think I'd bet on Turk. Uh, I mean, guy, what, 51-yard average last year? I'll be shocked if he doesn't win it. Shocked? Shocked. Oh, okay. I I think you when you look at these awards, and, it, and maybe it shouldn't be this way. Maybe it should all be about individual performance. But I think that remu- that kind of just removes kind of a human nature piece of it. Your team's got to be good, mm-hmm. typically. Got to win some games. And so I think if if Brent Venables gets this team ready to roll and they come out and Turk is – hopefully he's not punting that much, but hopefully he's dropping bombs when he does. There's no doubt he is – he's one of the best punters in the country. I mean, the guy's got a cannon. And he also I, – I think like the YouTube stuff, his – how he's got some personality. He's got some personality. He's he's certainly the most punter I've ever remembered around here. Yeah. You know, most popular punter I've ever remembered around here. So that all matters. And I if I had to put money on a guy on OU's roster to win a national award, it would be on Michael Turk. Yeah. I he's hit like two bad punts at OU. Everything else has just been mortar shots. It's crazy. I've, 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 I've been around some good punters in my day. I've never seen anyone that hits the ball like he does. It's crazy. Yeah, and he probably just walks around the locker room going, yeah, you guys know I'm the only preseason All-Big 12 guy, right? Probably. <laughs> he probably. should. Barefoot in like, you know, he's, he's, he's got some personality, but he's strange too, which, you know, fits right in with the, uh, the specialists. Yeah, I like my kickers to be a little weird. Yeah, you know, have to be. Yeah, of course. All right, let's talk a little recruiting uh, update. OU up to number seven in the twenty four seven Sports composite ranking after the commitment of Josiah Wagner, who is the number twenty five corner in the country according to the twenty four seven composite. Five eleven, hundred seventy pounds from Spanaway, Washington, which is very fun to say. Another Washington guy, Ted. Remember, they already have a commitment from Heath Ozeda up there in the state yeah. of Washington. Pipeline Oklahoma. to Oklahoma out there. It's just a little honey hole that we've got. Yeah. Eventually, uh, everyone knows that Oklahoma is Washington's SEC, st- SEC team. That's right. Just going in there and taking their top players. That's, hey, that's what we're supposed to do. I never would have picked Washington as a hot spot for us, but this year it has been. Yeah, so Wagner, the number two player in the state of Washington, uh, went through his highlight tape, smooth athlete, man, uh, and looks like he does it all for his high school offense, defense, returner on special teams. I I love that. I love that because usually when a guy's that versatile, when, when you're picking a side of the ball for him, you can you can kind of anticipate him being – able to be a little more versatile in the defensive backfield, right? If he's able to do all of that right now, usually you feel good about, hey, can he play nickel? Can he play free safety? Does Can he play outside corner? Can he do a little bit of everything? 
And that's that's what Venables is looking for. He wants the, that versatility in the back end of this defense. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, for the longest time, you took your best athletes on the field and made them corners. And then there's a different era that came in where you took the best athletes on the field and now you've made them wide receivers. And, you know, that is – that's still the majority of the case, but when you've got a defensive minded head coach and going to have a defensive minded program, that's maybe going to be a little more of an option than it was previously to take guys like that, that can do both that are high level on both sides of the ball, turn them into, into corners. Yeah. And just seeing some of the comments that Wagner made about choosing Oklahoma I really thought there were two interesting quotes. The first one, he said, I picked Oklahoma because of how elite the coaching staff is, and I know I can get developed on and off the field. And I just had to do a double take because he plays defense. <laughs> yep. It's been quite some time since we've heard a defensive recruit talk about the elite level that the coaches he's about to play for are on like that is yeah that's not a quote we've seen a lot recently just haven't so that was that was eye-opening no it is it's interesting too you know that tells you that everyone knows that Venables is now the head coach of Oklahoma but people are noticing recruits are noticing you know they're they're invested in finding the best way to develop for the future and if you're a defensive guy, it just – it's not that hard to think. You go to the guy that's been the best defensive coordinator. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. One other quote from him, he said, I knew it was the place for me after I went to their camp this summer. How about that? Brent Vittables puts a little more effort into the camp. Guy goes, he's like, yep, this is where I want to be. Huh. Everything matters, right? Isn't that the uh, mantra we hear over and over? Everything matters. How you do everything uh, plays a role in, you know, the success or failure of your program. Yeah, and one, one other recruiting thing. So Derek LeBlanc is a very high, highly rated defensive lineman. I believe number 13 ranked D lineman in the 24-7 sports composite. Uh, 24-7 Sports has him as their 64th overall-ranked player. He's committing on Thursday. So by the time some people listen to this, hopefully LeBlanc has committed to Oklahoma. And it's interesting because the projections are split. I think on three has him going to Florida. 24-7 Sports has him going to OU. The suspense, but down to OU, Florida, and Penn State. Uh, he's a Florida kid, so we'll see. But And if they can land him... That the the recruiting is rolling, man. It really is. Like uh, they're up oh, to number seven in the recruiting rankings. I I think um, yeah. I think I think they got a shot at him, a, a good shot, and that may be not not may, that may not be the only defensive lineman, uh, like top tier, five star that they've got a really good shot at. There's they got some good stuff rolling right now on the defensive side. What really? all sides of the ball, but defensively, the recruiting is it's in a good place. Yeah, and speaking of that, let's get to call your shot. 
and we asked you guys the most important thing for OU this week, and this one comes from Dat Medic Shay forty five, who says if Vickers commits, that will be the biggest news by far, only because we haven't beaten Bama for an elite corner in as long as I can remember. Doing that would really show the trajectory BB has our program on. Now he's referring to Macari Vickers, who is a top one hundred player in the country, 6'1 corner from the state of Florida. They're basically, I, I think Michigan's in the mix too. They're going head to head, but I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure I read he's not committing until August 26th. So I think it's going to be a while on whether or not we know if they're going to land Vickers or not. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, we've talked about that previously on here. The recruiting battles that they're winning are not even battles that they would even engage in previously, right? right? Whenever you're talking about Michigan and Florida and and Alabama and LSU, schools like that, we're in, winning recruits over those guys in those territories whenever, like, rarely did we ever even engage in in recruits that had some of those schools as their, their top four or five. But – Right now, that's what I'm saying. It's it's a totally different trajectory right now on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I will say, just from a defensive back perspective, clearly Venable's reputation means a lot uh, to any of these defensive recruits that they're going after. But I think Brandon Hall and Jay Valai are bringing some serious juice to the recruiting trail. And well, especially at corner. Like, Jay Valai brings – like. Not only is he the buffest uh, football coach in the history of the sport, but he he brings a lot of knowledge to that position. He played it at a very high level. It's just different whenever you've got a corner that played it at a high level coaching corners. You know, I it, and he also you can tell really values the strength and conditioning program. So uh, I I think they're set up really nicely on the back end. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um... The last for call your shot at Will Estelle on Twitter says, best news of the week, simple. No news is good news. Hey, I agree with that. Tis the season, right? Tis the season, guys. They, they're, they're getting a little break right now. Uh, got their last work in, w- workout in with Schmitty on Tuesday. Camp gets rolling. I think they report next Thursday. Now, I believe there's some discretionary workouts earlier next week, but yeah, it's tis the season. Make smart choices, guys. Don't do anything dumb. Be smart out there. All right. Birthday shout outs time. Happy first birthday to Miles Ferrero. Happy third birthday to Emmett Dillman. Happy sixth birthday to Grady Stambaugh. Happy 8th birthday to Owen Musminski. Happy 24th birthday to Brett Boone. Happy 27th birthday to Andrew Thick. Happy 32nd birthday to Jonathan Thacker. Happy 40th birthday to Cammie Klein. Happy 53rd birthday to Frank Potts. And happy birthday to John Rubio. All right, let's talk to Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. 
Loves has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Loves has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including my favorite, yes, Java Amore. Mm. That coffee is fantastic. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. Make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. All right, here's Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt. It is our pleasure to be joined by the first politician we've ever had on the podcast. Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt is in the house. Also amateur food blogger, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, lately it seems that way. I don't know that direction, but it seems like we've eaten out every night for the last two weeks. So yeah, check out my Instagram if you want to see some of the finest dishes of Oklahoma City. <laughs> you guys should partner, Gabe. That That is your true specialty. <laughs> I we we certainly both share a passion for the fine dining establishments in in our great city. But I, I know you're busy, Mayor Holt. So let's get right to it, man. You, you don't want to talk about food all all thirty minutes? <laughs> no, we can. We can talk about as much food as you want. Uh, okay, top three restaurants in Oklahoma City. Go. Oh no, a mayor can't do that. See, now that's 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 way outside of of my uh, of my abilities. Although. I will say there's been a long-standing special relationship between the Holt family and Rococo. So I will mention that, but obviously I, I love all of our wonderful restaurants. Well, there you go. That's, that's an endorsement if I've ever heard one. Anniversaries. I'm sorry, what? That's, a, that's an endorsement if I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so you, I, I mean, you made some serious waves here locally and, and nationally with what you said in your state of the city address. and. Before we dive into why you said what you said, I, why was now the time that you felt it was important to start discussing this? Yeah, well, well great question. And uh, of course, you are, you are alluding to what I, what I laid on the table in my State of the City address two weeks ago relative to a new um, arena or just whatever it is that our future holds as far as arena facilities go here in Oklahoma City. And I mean, really, the timing is, is 
pretty much uh, written for us because, and this is not something that I expected the people of Oklahoma City to be aware of, but we have a lease, you know, with the Thunder and it has an end date. Uh, and until recently, that end date was one year from now. And so it is certainly, when you get to that point, it is time to talk about the future and it's time to talk about, um, you know, the ongoing status of your relationship. And obviously we in Oklahoma City uh, want to have a long-term relationship with Major League Professional Sports, specifically the NBA and even more specifically the Thunder. And, um, and so we begin that conversation and as a part of that, you know, process, you're you're evaluating where your facilities stand. And, and as, I, as I explained in my State of the City address, you know, like if you want water and you're a city, you build water pipes. If you want a police department, you buy police cars and build police stations. And if you want major league professional sports, you gotta have sports facilities, especially a market our size. You know, we're, we're, we're not in any, can, any kind of position being the 42nd largest metropolitan statistical area to, to dictate the terms of, of the, the models. And uh, the models are well-established, especially for markets our size. You gotta bring sports facilities to the table. So as we begin to consider what our sports facilities look like, we begin to find something that also the people of Oklahoma City probably haven't been thinking a lot about. And that is that our comparisons with uh, other arenas in the NBA and even maybe more, more importantly, other arenas in cities that don't have the NBA, but would like to have the NBA, are not as favorable as they once were. You know, we're the we're the second cheapest arena in the NBA. We're the smallest arena by square footage, which is actually in many ways more. A lot of people think about arena size in terms of seats. It's actually more important uh, is square footage because that really that really dictates what potential your arena has for all of the ancillary um, you know user experiences that people uh, expect to see in a in a big time arena. And ours is literally the smallest. Um, and it's not as young as it used to be. And that's, that's maybe the hardest thing for people to wrap their minds around because they, they almost feel sometimes like it opened yesterday, but it was really 20 years ago. Uh, and the oldest NBA arena, other than Madison Square Garden, Madison Square Garden is kind of an outlier on this topic. So you sort of set it aside because it's technically like 80 years old, but it was renovated for a billion dollars in the last decade. But setting it aside, the oldest NBA arena is 32 years old. And of course, you think about the, the idea that whatever we do here will take, you know, the better part of a decade to implement. And you realize that our arena will be, you know, 30 years old uh, by the time that we would complete this discussion. So all of that kind of came together to make it very apparent once you really put the facts on the table. And once you have a, you know, have a clear eyed, take a clear eyed look at it, you realize that we don't have the sports facilities to maintain a long term relationship with major league professional sports. And so we want to have that relationship. So we're going to have to have this conversation in Oklahoma City. And so the reason for the timing, though, was that we have the lease that we're at the end of. Now, fortunately, the Thunder have now committed to three more years. So we have the time to have this conversation. That three-year extension was provided for back in 2008 when they, when they initially came to Oklahoma City. There was that potential that they could add three years. Uh, so now we've got a little bit of time to, to have this conversation. But we do not currently have, in Oklahoma City, the facilities to maintain a long-term relationship with professional sports. Um, but I have been heartened by the response thus far. And I think that uh, ultimately we'll get there and we have a great partner in the thunder, um, but we have a lot of work to do. And that was the bottom line was to introduce that topic to the people of Oklahoma city and let everyone know we have work to do. This is not a, this is not something we can take for granted. Yeah. I think people sometimes maybe 
get a little bit of sticker shock whenever they see, because these arenas are not cheap, especially whenever you're pricing some stuff out right now. So you see this huge number and it's like, why would we do that? And you don't want a sports team, professional sports team in your city to give your citizens something to do like that is, that's great. That's part of it. And you get behind that, but it's about economic development. And you can really tie the renaissance of downtown Oklahoma City to the first arena that went in. How much, whenever you look back at that and you, and you kind of show that, like, what all has happened downtown since that arena was put in, I mean, that's, that's got to be the real goal, right? You have to, you have to show yeah. what the economic development, what comes from it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And as you said, yeah, so it's, it's not about um, – it's, it's not about the entertainment value. I mean, that's nice. It's not even just about the 41 nights a year that uh, at a minimum that you expect to, to bring 20,000 people downtown. That's also very nice. And that's a very nice economic development opportunity for your city. But we have found that having a major league sports team, and, and I couldn't say this if we were talking about our second team or our third team or our fourth team, but having that first one, uh, the only one that we currently have and have ever had, has all completely changed the way that we see ourselves and the way the world sees us. And that comes with an, an unbelievable economic growth that you can just look at over the last 15 years. I don't think it is any coincidence that our city's population and economy has exploded in the same time that we've had a major league professional sports team. Um, and, it, and it goes so far beyond the, the direct economic benefit of, of hosting those events in downtown Oklahoma City. And by the way, not just sports, Paul McCartney and, and James Taylor. I know Gabe was at that concert last week. All of that, you know, is made possible as well by the, by the existence of a, of a state-of-the-art arena. But, but it is in having Major League Professional Sports is really the only way that American cities differentiate themselves and, 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 and send an implicit message to everyone around the country and around the world that we are a top tier American city. Um, when you don't have one, you tend to just get lumped together with cities that may even be much smaller than yours, but they all just kind of look the same, you know, from, from the coasts, right? And so if, if you were in New York, how would you really know the difference between Amarillo, Oklahoma City, Omaha, Wichita, Little Rock, all of those cities, but we're the only one on that list that have a major league professional sports team and it sets us apart and it, it kind of shortcuts the need to go do a bunch of market research. You immediately recognize this is a city that's big enough, has the corporate presence and the general wherewithal to host one of the world's greatest brands. So I think that's a message that is widely understood and agreed with by the people of Oklahoma City. I mean, there are always outliers, there's always extremists, just go to social media and you can find them in three minutes. But but I think that uh, the vast majority of residents absolutely agree um, that Major League Professional Sports, the existence of the Thunder, has changed everything and far beyond sports. And Gabe and I talking about food earlier. I mean, the food scene has exploded in the last 15 years. You know, the art scene has exploded in the last 15 years. We've been able to do things for residents at all socioeconomic levels through initiatives like MAPS Ford that we didn't do in 1985 because we didn't have the money to take care of anything back in 1985. But now we have newfound resources and we're doing you know, social type programs that benefit all our residents at a level we've never been able to do before. So whatever, I mean, I, I, I hate to overdo it, but at the same time, I really believe that most things you value in Oklahoma City are implicitly tied to our status as a top tier city 
which doesn't really exist if we don't have major league professional sports. That changed our status uh, in, in America and it led to this growth economically and in population. And obviously we don't wanna take a step backward. I thought somebody, speaking of food, I thought somebody, I heard this on the radio a couple of weeks ago, made a really funny comment. They said, if you're not for you know, whatever it takes to keep the thunder here, then you must like bad pasta because you're trying to send us back to, to when we all ate at Spaghetti Warehouse in Bricktown and that was the only thing to do in town. And, and that really is kind of what's at stake here. It's not about getting to see, you know, Chet Holmgren's entire career as much as it is. Are we gonna be the city that we now know and love or are we gonna go back to 1985? Right, and so you, you mentioned there are, there are some people that are gonna be against it, right? Especially, us taxpayers having to pay for it. You mm -hmm. you see the people saying, well, why don't the owners build the new arena? Why don't they, they handle that? Wh what is, what is the value in the city owning the arena? Like we currently do. Right. And, and like, I, I believe you think we should in the future with a new arena, new arena. What, what is the value in the city controlling that? Well, first of all, I mean, the first answer to your question is the idea that the city would not be a major participant in the construction of our sports facilities is just really almost without model in the United States as, as far as a market our size goes. So, and I've done this research and it's kind of interesting, you know, in the larger markets, so Philadelphia, Los Angeles, uh, New York, yeah, the, the arenas are often privately constructed and owned. Um, but when you go to the top, when you go to the bottom 15 NBA markets, only two of those arenas in the bottom 15 were privately constructed and owned. Now there's been some private participation and that's not off the table here, but, um, but the 13 of the, of the 15 NBA arenas in the bottom 15 markets are all owned by the city or some, or some sub subdivision of government. Um, and there's a reason for that. I mean, it just gets more hyper competitive at that level. You, you suddenly have competitors. I mean, you know, the Knicks aren't going to leave New York because it's, an, uh, it's one of the biggest cities in the world. Um, but we in Oklahoma City, we're still looking up to 18 metropolitan statistical areas that don't have an NBA team. Cities like Nashville, Kansas City, Las Vegas, Seattle, and some of those cities have great facilities and in all of those cities probably or at least the vast majority would love to put a proposal on the table if there was a team that was available you know and right now there's no team available but you don't want to be that that team that's that's putting blood in the water and obviously at one time the sonics were that team we know how we got this team you know it was because a community wouldn't step up that particular community since then has done a billion dollar renovation of what was once key arena and now has a uh, a spectacular arena. And so that's always, you know, in the back of your mind, you, this is a hyper competitive environment. If you let Oklahoma city compete in a free market without any assistance, we would lose. We're the 42nd largest market. There are only 30 franchises in every one of the major league in the major league professional sports. We don't get one of those at 42nd. So we have like done something extra and a confluence of wonderful events all came together between 2005 and 2008 for us to have this opportunity. Um, otherwise, this wouldn't happen for us. So we have to try harder, you know, and or at least do what everybody else does. And so the first answer to your question is, you know, we have to do this because this is what everyone does. We we have every 
um, bit of discretion in Oklahoma City as to whether we will be a major league professional sports team. We have no discretion as to what that requires for a market our size. The model is that the city is the, is the main driver of the facility. And that is what or city or state or some level of government is the main driver of the facility. And that's what we have to offer. Um, obviously, to your, to your point, I mean, there's so much value in it for all the reasons I said earlier that I think it pays for itself many, many times over. And you also, you have to also, I think, consider how cheap we got off to this point. We have put $190 million into that arena and we got 15 years of an NBA basketball team uh, in exchange. We opened our arena in 2002 at the very same time that Dallas opened a $420 million arena. We opened an $89 million arena that, that within 12 months of their opening. Uh, and, and we put another $100 million in through the 2008 Big League City uh, effort. But that's it to this point. And, and that's why it's the second cheapest arena in the entire NBA. We've gotten a ton of value. So if you're thinking about the span of time and you think about the 15 years and then the 20, 25 years from here, we will still come out ahead on this deal beyond almost every other NBA market. Um, whatever it is that we propose for the future. But, um, but it's, it's worth it, I think. Uh, and I think a lot of people will agree. Obviously, we don't know what it is yet. And that proposal will come in the months ahead. And obviously, we will do our due diligence to make sure it is in line with other NBA cities of our size. We will make sure that it's not, you know, it's not going beyond what you might expect um, and that it's fair to all parties. Uh, but at the same time, we recognize there is a reality here that we have to embrace. And, and, I, and I, I always say, again, I'm fine with whatever your, you know, your opinion is on the value of professional sports in Oklahoma City. Obviously, mine is well known, and, I'll, and I'd love to debate it. Um, all I oh, ever ask you, is that people... <laughs> This is, you are not in a place to debate yeah, it. We right, are, right, right. No, we no, are on your side. I know, I know. But, 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 but I, all I ask of everyone is that they have a clear-eyed view of the realities here. Do not delude yourself into, th- I'm not talking to you, but I mean, do not delude yourself into thinking, that we, as the as the you know forty second largest MSA, can enjoy having an NBA team uh, with the second worst arena in the league, and that somehow that's going that status quo is going to be sustainable. Uh, you know, we have to do what NBA cities do. We we are a big league city, and that puts us in a different uh, you know a different club. And maybe it's not something we've been used to in the past, but. You know, we got to act if we want to be in the big boys, we got to act like the big boys. And so that's uh, that's that's the root here is you got to do what you got to do. If you don't think it's worth it, that's fine. But don't don't believe that there's some third way here where we don't do anything and we still get to have our cake and eat it, too. That just that world doesn't exist. Well, here's the interesting thing. And I agree with you as far as investment was. I think it's the easiest no brain investment ever. You know, whenever you just think about the current arena, what the the Omni just went in close to two hundred million dollar investment downtown. I know First National's going on right now. That's a massive deal. These things don't happen without the arena. So can you talk about like maybe what has been produced over the time whenever you talk about the sales tax revenue, like the, the economic development, real estate development around that area, because ultimately that's, you're not just doing it for the, you know, the sales tax in, in the arena, it's all of the development around it. What, what is the number that you guys have seen or put together perhaps that whenever you look back on the thunder now, like what it's created yeah. tax revenue wise for the city? 
Well, I mean, you know, you look at just even our our monthly sales tax checks are, gosh, 40 or 50 percent larger than they were, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So that's wow. one indicator. Um, and and yeah, to your point, I mean, I don't have that number at my fingertips, but the, it's literally billions of dollars of private investment in downtown Oklahoma City since this journey began. And uh, and sometimes they still need our help. I mean, like actually several of those projects you just mentioned, though there was significant private money into Omni and the First National, that also had a public component as well. Like sometimes, you know, I mean, again, I'm a I'm a huge free market guy, but I but my own city is a different thing. You know, like you know, I, I I don't I'm not such a purist that I would say, well, Oklahoma City, you're on your own. You know, like uh, I hope you can beat I hope you can beat Nashville and and Albuquerque. You know, I mean, like no, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure my city can fight all fight and compete with all these other cities. And so when we want to preserve an icon like the First National, or we want to have a convention center hotel that will. Uh, you know, allow us to host meetings that would grow our economy. Sometimes we got to help out and same thing with the arena. So, but yeah, you look at, gosh, what's going around uh, First Americans Museum from the Chickasaws, that's a $300 million development. You look at this new convergence development that's soon to break ground over in the innovation district, just to the Northeast of downtown, that's a nearly $200 million development. You look at new construction, like the Heartland building on, on Automobile Alley, or obviously you look at nearly $300 million put into First National between private and public. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on. Every block in this downtown area has been- And no one lived downtown. Yeah, yeah. And now that. there's and now we can't build them fast enough. I mean, every apartment complex that goes in downtown fills up immediately with millennials and, and Gen Zers who want to be a part of this. I mean, the, the growth uh, at every demographic has been tremendous, but especially among young people. I mean, in the 80s and 90s, we lost- a generation of young people. There was just, there were no young professionals in Oklahoma City, and now you, you know they're they're everywhere. Go to any go to any restaurant or bar downtown at five o'clock, and it's full of people. Used to I knew all the young professionals. Now I mean they're they're all there's too many. There's thousands of them, and so yeah, it's it's a thrilling time. But again, none of it really happens without that linchpin of professional sports. Again, none of those people may even be sports fans. That's not what I'm saying. Nobody's like nobody says I live in Oklahoma City because they have an NBA team. It's just that we weren't even on their radar before that, you know, and it just breeds all this other growth, all these other hotels and restaurants. It all comes hand in hand. And we haven't taken a single step back in the last 25 years. It has been a relentless march of progress in this city losing. And I'm not saying that's imminent, but I mean, again, like over time, you just sit on the second worst arena in the NBA. You're you're beginning a journey that you you know the story, how that story ends eventually. Uh, and, and taking that kind of step back, not having major league professional sports in this city in the long run, I think would be a disaster because it would be the first time we would have had a gut punch, a, a real setback in our in our renaissance, which we have remarkably been able to sustain now for three decades. We we don't want to be Seattle. <laughs> no, I, I and mean, at, least, at least Seattle got to console themselves by having two other major league professional yeah, sports I, teams. <laughs> I, I just, I never want to experience that feeling, and I don't plan on experiencing that feeling. For well, a whole, that's, now, that's a good point because any city that's ever lost a professional franchise spends like decades fighting, clamoring, doing anything that they can to get someone to come back. I, you know, that's just, just the nature of it. As soon as it's gone, it's like, oh my God, what did we do? Yeah, exactly. They, oh, instant regret. And look at Seattle. So, so they wouldn't invest in Key Arena for, with even one dime. 
And like the second the Sonics leave, now they've put a billion dollars into it and they got an NHL team as a result. Um, obviously, if they had put a billion dollars into it in 2007, we wouldn't have the thunder, you know, but uh, they had instant regret. And obviously we, we would we would feel the same. I should say, though, I mean, like, despite the fact that maybe I've alluded to naysayers, I, I've been very pleased with the overall response. And and I have in the last two weeks and I have definitely sensed that everybody gets it like they get the proposition. They get the reality of the situation. Um, and, and some people are probably like the three of us. They're like, no brainer, great investment for the city. This has made all the difference. We're there, whatever you need. Right. There's another group that's probably more like, oh, I kind of hate it, but I'll do it because I understand the realities of the situation. There are always people, no matter what we propose at a city level that are against everything, right? Like they just, they only know one way to vote and it is no. And, and let them else. leave. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, Shut up. They'll, they'll be there. And we're not going to get 100%, but I feel really good about where we are today. I, as far as a, now clearly you guys, you and the people you work with there at the city have, have done a ton of research. Is there a location for a new arena that makes the most sense? Are there a couple options on the table? What, what, has, what has the discussion about the location of a new arena been? Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, you know, everybody can look around downtown and see some obvious locations, either they're vacant or they're kind of underutilized, you know, uh, maybe maybe have a have a facility that's that's reaching the end of its life. And and uh, and and people have written about that. And I don't have any dispute with some of those stories. Um, it is a little premature, right, to, to speculate for, for me to speculate anyways about it. The one thing I've been willing to do, and this seems to be important to some people, and, and but it seemed easy for me to say is, for sure, if we do end up looking at a new facility, it has to be downtown, you know, and, and, and because it's worth, I guess it's worth mentioning because there are teams that have constructed, um, you know, facilities in sub- suburban areas, uh, and, and that's across all of the sports. I, I now I'm hyper attuned to sports arena conversations around the country. And I noticed just a couple of days ago uh, that Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago just put on the table a $2 billion renovation and dome uh, for Soldier, Soldier Field because the Bears have purchased land in a suburban community, not Chicago, you know? The, and the Arlington trying- Heights Bears. <laughs> yeah. That story has played out many, many times across the sports world over the last like New years. England. Did you play at New England, Gabe? Yeah. It's- literally you drive through like stop signs in a neighborhood and then boom here's this <laughs> huge complex it's, it's yeah. wild yeah so so i mean i'm competing as i said earlier with you know all these other bigger metropolitan areas that won an nba team but i suppose on some level i may also be competing not that not that i think they're getting any calls but you're also competing with your suburbs sometimes you know and obviously you know in dallas they only have there's you know the stars and the mavericks are in dallas but They've lost, you know, long since lost the Rangers and the and the Cowboys and, you know, and their mayor is talking about a new arena now, 20 years after building a $420 million arena, they're talking about a new arena because they want to keep the Mavs. And uh, so, you know, we, we definitely don't want to see the team move outside of downtown. And even if it was within Oklahoma City, but not downtown, I still think that'd be a missed opportunity. We want that energy downtown. Um, we want, we want the proximity to all of our other amenities and, uh, and there's clearly room for it somewhere downtown. You know, we, 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 for better or for worse, we got a lot of, we got a lot of land downtown. I, I want it downtown cause it's like not even 10 minutes from my house. <laughs> That's selfish. Now you, you mentioned 
you know, clearly you're, this is, this is the focus, but what are, what are the conversations like about the possibility of another major league professional sports team coming to Oklahoma city? Is that something you guys have discussed? And if so, is there, you know, when you're looking at the big four or five uh, sports leagues in, in America, is there one that you think would be the best fit for, for the city? Yeah, I go, I, I, this is a fun game. It is very speculative. And I think it's very much for probably the next mayor to figure out really. But I know enough about sports to tell you that it's pretty easy to go through a process of elimination on that topic and, and arrive at really only one realistic option as Oklahoma City's second major league professional sports team. And, you know, you look at the, so you look at the NFL. Well, if anybody's having sticker shock about, uh, as Teddy alluded to earlier, about an NBA arena, you know, I, I don't know that the that the political will is there for the people of Oklahoma City to fund to keep us, you know, current with an NBA arena and then also build a a football stadium. I mean, that's an, an enormous uh, infrastructure cost. I think it would work here. I mean, I think NFL eight home games on a weekend. I mean, you could pop it in Ada and it would sell out. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter. People will travel. But um, but the infrastructure cost is tremendous. And I also think just as a practical reality, hard to imagine that Jerry Jones would not lay his body across the railroad tracks to keep a team from being in Oklahoma City, because it would just be clearly kind of an infringement on what I think he counts on as part of his sort of service area, you know. So I don't see that happening uh, anytime soon. Um, you look at baseball, again, pretty significant infrastructure cost. Um, also, it's worth noting baseball teams you know, they need a lot of fans. I mean, we're talking about basically, I think the average now, I just read this was like 30,000 for the league, for the league each night. So you're talking about 30,000 fans, 80 nights a year. Okay. Compared to 20,000 fans, 40 nights a year for the NBA. It just typically is a sport played in larger cities than ours, you know, larger markets. I mean, it just needs more people. It, it, it has a really high demand. Um, and then, okay, so then you look at, so I just look at that again as, as sort of maybe unrealistic for us in the near, in the foreseeable future. And then you look at NHL and, um, you know, I know we, we have this ever more distant history with hockey uh, that maybe, maybe the three of us recall, but, you know, it's probably. RIP to the Blazers. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I don't know that, you know, when, when we stepped up a level and we had the, um, the Barons, you know, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't quite the same level of success. Uh, you know, it's directly competitive, obviously, with the NBA in terms of the season. I mean, not that they couldn't figure out how to schedule it. I just mean that, like, you know, I mean, imagine trying to to basically double your your attendance and your sponsorships overnight with with another team playing at the same time in the same building. Um, and, and I don't know if it's as desirable. I mean, I just, you know, it's obviously fallen off. Uh, I, I, I I very well remember the 90s when the NHL was viewed as this up and coming league that was kind of rivaling the NBA, but that feels like ancient history now in terms of pop culture, you know, significance and TV contracts and all those things. It's just not what it used to be. So I don't even know that that's, I mean, if I'm not saying I'd say no, but I mean, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be uh, nearly as animated about that as I am about the NBA, because I think the NBA is, is really, and I should say, before I get to my last team, uh, my last league, I, was, I should mention, I really think like we lucked out so much because the NBA is truly with that in soccer are truly global sports, but, but, but NBA is the league for the whole world. You know, it's the preeminent, unlike soccer, which has a lot of sort of 
top tier leagues, it's like we have the one uh, here in, in the United States and we have one of the 30 teams. And it's just, I just think we couldn't have done any better. Uh, I mean, yeah, people love football in America and people love baseball, but not anywhere else really, you know? So, I mean, it, it's, it's a purely American sport. This is a global sport for a city that has aspirations to be a global city. And finally, I arrive at the, t at the league, I think is most realistic for Oklahoma City to think about sometime in the future, 10 years from now, and that's MLS, you know? And so that was partly why we included a multi-purpose stadium in MAPS 4. It's a modest amount of money, but it establishes sort of the footprint and it kept us in the game because we wouldn't even have a USL team if they had to keep playing at a high school stadium. So, so having a, a multi-purpose stadium keeps us in minor league soccer and I think establishes a location for maybe a future investment and just kind of keeps us on that level so we could we could think about MLS. Um, I, I fully recognize that MLS probably is in a similar status as, as NHL in terms of where it ranks in American professional sports, but I feel like it's got more potential and, and you always have to believe that eventually America's premier soccer league will be one of the, the world's premier soccer leagues and they're, you know, they're doing really well in the cities that they're in. Um, and so, you know, I think that's a, that's an aspiration we can have as a community, uh, but I don't, but in the near term, the most important thing is to committing everything we have to making sure the team, we, the professional sports team we have is successful. Now, you said that there's been such a, a great outpouring of support so far, but, you know, even for the naysayers, it's way easier to convince those folks to, uh, to agree whenever you got a winning team. All right. Mm -hmm. So have, have we put together, in your opinion, uh, a nice little youth movement to bring this thing back and make another run? Oh, I'm very, you know, I think the sophisticated sports fan, which obviously all three of us are, um, <laughs> gets gets what the team is doing and that it's really a it's really a textbook rebuild. It's almost writing the textbook because it's Sam Presti, who's the author. You know, I mean, it's especially for a market our, our size. Again, like all the differences I talked about earlier in terms of our markets, uh, our market necessities. Well, he's got his own set of unique challenges that he has to deal with on the court regarding the size of our market. And uh, so I think they're doing a great job. I love where we are. I feel like it's going faster probably than, than you would otherwise expect. Um, and it's something this franchise already went through. You know, I think we were just spoiled that several of those losing years were in Seattle. And so like, we didn't know they happened or something. We didn't have to experience them. You know, we only had to really go through one bad, uh, one bad losing year. And that, that's the year that got us James Harden. Um, but the years that got them KD and Westbrook happened in Seattle. So we like to pretend that they didn't happen. But the reality is that's part of the deal, as we all know on, uh, on this conversation. Um, but I always, you know, when that comes up, and sometimes it has in the last couple of weeks, well, gee, I wish the team was better. You know, that'd be a better time. Well, first of all, we can't really dictate the time. The time is, as I described earlier, you know, really relative to the uh, expiration of the lease. So the, we can't choose the time. But if you're fixated on the win-loss record, you're really missing the big picture, right? Like that, that that's going to come and go. And, you know, do you guys know what the Seattle Sonics record was the year they relocated to Oklahoma City? It was 20 and 62, right? And we were thrilled to have them. So, you know, and three years later, they were in the NBA or four years later, they were in the NBA finals. So, uh, you know, we have every reason to believe we'll have a similar rise here with this Thunder team, um, whether it all works out the way we want it to, you know, you never know. But I think they're doing everything they can that's in their control 
I mean, you can't, you know, some guy tears an ACL and your whole future changes. But as far as, as what they can control, I think it's been masterful in terms of picking the right people and, and trading people at the right time and accumulating picks and trading them for value, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's just been, it, it's, it's, it's really, we're watching Sam Presti paint a masterpiece that he has had now 15 years of experience to, to truly know how to do. I mean, he's probably doing, you would assume he's doing things at an even higher level than he was when he drafted uh, Katie Westbrook and Harden, you know, like he knows what he's doing at this point better than anybody. He's a veteran now. And uh, so I'm excited by what's going on in the court. And I think we're watching a, a really fun rise of obviously a very young team, but with some great pieces. And even if those pieces don't win immediately, that doesn't mean anything either because we put a team on the court in 2008 that had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, those two guys playing together, basketball lost 27 of their first 30 games. <laughs> so it just goes to show, even if you have future hall of fame talent on the court, you still need time for them to grow. And, uh, and so we may, I don't think we'll go three and 27, but uh, you know, we're going to, we could have the same team five years from now and they're going to be winning a lot more than they probably will this, this next year, just because they, they need time. Um, so I'm excited about that, but I, yeah, when that comes up, I just always get, bring people back to the big picture. It's not about a win loss record in any given year. It's about what it means to your community to have major league professional sports. And that doesn't re what, how they play is secondary to, to uh, you know, what, what the, the signal that their existence in your city sends uh, to the country and, and to the world. And by the way, they will come around. I mean, we were just in the playoffs like two years ago. You know, I, I think it's, I think people are a little over dramatic on, on the, uh, on their reaction. We were just so good for so long. <laughs> it's like know. a well, decade a of being awesome. And they were like, wait, what the hell is this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think your guys, your guys background also uh, is part of what has spoiled uh, our sports fans locally is they just assume that everybody can just win forever. Like, OU football does, right? Like there's never, you don't, you know, you don't rebuild in, in college football, but, uh, but, but it's just different, obviously in professional sports. Yeah. All right, Mayor Holt, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I, I think this could be really informative for a lot of people. So know you're yeah. busy, man. So appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And, and so now, you know, there was this burst of energy after the speech, but now it kind of goes quiet for a while. And sometime in the months ahead, I can give it no real timeline, but it's not imminent. We'll, we'll have a plan. You know, we've got great partners in the Oklahoma City Thunder, and that's the good thing. I mean, they want to have a long-term relationship with Oklahoma City just as much as we want to have a long-term relationship with them. And uh, we'll figure something out that I think will be, um, that I think will be very reasonable. Um, we'll be aspirational at the same time, and, and we'll be appropriate to, to one of America's fastest growing and most dynamic cities. And I think it'll get people excited, but that won't come for many months. Uh, and in the meantime, you know, enjoy the team, enjoy the, enjoy the what's happening on the court, but uh, we will come back uh, and maybe we'll have a conversation at that time when we've got something concrete for the people in Oklahoma City to consider. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks. Thank you guys. Appreciate you. That was, that was a lot of information, but I think that's going to be very helpful for some people. No, good stuff. I, I, for one, say we build a $5 billion arena. Just go yeah. ahead and make it the best of the best. Let's go. Let's just go all in right now. Yeah, why not? I'm down for it. That was awesome. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first... 
It's time to get back out on the golf course, people, and there's nothing better to drink on the course than the number one seltzer in golf, Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. They're not just for the golf course either. They're perfect to drink by the pool, after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. The variety pack is out find a place near you that has clubbies visit clubbyseltzers.com and attention business owners you need insurica in your life insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout oklahoma texas and the southwest insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers they compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Are you looking to buy or sell a house in the OKC metro area? Use the Ronaldo uh, Cloud Group. Stacia Ronaldo and Maddie Cloud are with Sage Sotheby's International Realty. They believe in prompt communication, an honest relationship, and luxury service. And that's exactly what they gave Gabe. They sold a house for Gabe. They found a house for Gabe's brother. They even found a house for Lane Johnson. We can't recommend them enough. You can reach them by calling or texting Stacia at 918-671-6450. Or you can contact them on Instagram at, at soldbystacia and at soldbymaddie underscore. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I feel like he's made my winner of the week list a bunch of times. Shohai Otani. Okay. You, dude, you're an Otani guy. I am. I think, I think it's amazing what he's doing. I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by him. Uh, he's unbelievable. Well, a lot of, a uh, lot of trade dis- discussion going on right now. Sounds like there's some trade discussion going on perhaps with the Mets. Uh, and perhaps some others out there. I know there's got to be some teams that are really interested in him. Here's what's crazy. He's got a contract negotiation coming up. And there's some out there that believe his asking price can be above $60 million a year. $60 million a year. If you look at his numbers currently, they're on par, maybe even a little better than Max Scherzer, who makes $43 million a year. His batting numbers are on par, maybe a little better than Matt Olson, who makes $21 million a year. So now that doesn't mean that you just get to add stuff like that together, but there is going to be some seriously uh, big added premium in there because he does both and does both so well. Uh, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to see him well above $50 million a year whenever he signs a contract. And you know what happens, Gabe? 
whenever people see money, they want some. There's there's very few players out there that do both that pitch and hit. And there's a lot of players that are great at both, but they start to focus, you know, in in college and definitely in the minors on, you know, one or the other. I if you've got a guy that's now by far the highest paid player in baseball, guess what people are going to start doing? They're going to start wanting to do both. It's a great point. I uh, we're gonna we're gonna see some pitchers that are like, no, 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 I can rake. You're <laughs> letting me bat. I yep. want to get that Otani money. And and I've seen this several places, but just talking about him, you know, the angels trading him. Well, where can he go? Him for Juan Soto. Huh? Remember he turned down the offer from the Nationals? Yep. Makes some sense. Yep. 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 It's crazy. It's crazy that, you know, and uh, I guess I can, I can understand them wanting to trade because there's so much value there. And uh, it's weird that they have like the two best players in baseball and still doesn't mean anything. And I know it's a team sport and there's more than that, but dag gum. Uh, you would think that you'd be able to move the needle a little bit, right? Yeah, and it is confusing. But the Otani situation, uh, we just do not appreciate it enough. I know it's we it's, don't. it's crazy. It, it's unbelievable. And also, remember the hype when he came over here, and it was one of those like, okay, the guy can pitch and hit. I'm sure he's decent. Like he has surpassed. It's almost like LeBron James, like when it right. comes to surpa- surpassing the hype. Right. Yeah. It's wild. Wild. He's, he is an impressive dude. Steals bases. Um, good stuff. Yeah. And that's us talking baseball. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the week? Let's talk some more baseball. Oh, uh, <laughs> this is, this is less baseball talk, but it's, it's in major league baseball. Did you see Carlos Rodon? after a bad inning, come into the dugout and kicked a bat that was like leaned up against the bench and drills one of his teammates in the shin. Player goes down to the ground, holding his knee, like right below his knee. And everyone else in the dugout was like, dude, like they were, they were pissed, not happy about it. And I had to laugh because that is so something that I would do. Right. <laughs> That has my name written all over it. Are you in a roundabout way making yourself your loser of the week? Yes. Yes. Uh, That I have had so many instances in my life growing up where I missed a shot. I whatever. And I just blow up my dad. My nickname growing up. And this started when I was like five was landmine because <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, landmine layman you never knew when the landmine was going to go off uh that was it but i had to laugh because of the reaction from the rest of the team they were pissed they yeah that video is hilarious until it's not and you're like oh no right. those guys are mad <laughs> yeah yeah they were mad that was uh that was pretty wild oh landmine layman i love <laughs> That's it right. All right, let's get to buy winner and loser. But first, 
First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate. And you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember in 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners, yeah, they're from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconesDistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the week, I thought about going with Chicago Bears fans. And we talked to Bear David Holt a little bit about this. I, I didn't love the dome idea from the Chicago mayor, but at least the leadership in the city is trying to keep the team there. And I I will say you and I, we've both played on soldier field that grass. People shouldn't have to play professional football in that grass. It's too shitty. So I am, I'm a grass proponent. I am. I think field turf is, is it great? It's not great. It serves its purpose when it needs to, but I, that grass could go. I don't care. It's awful. It's horrible. It's horrible. It is so slow, so chunky. It, anytime you plant, it all peels up. It's awful. I hate it. Now, the, the sketchings that I saw, it was a dome, but it looked like a, glass or plexiglass dome right is that what that was i i saw it and in my head i go what i was like what am i looking at yeah so i don't know but hey i will say at least they're trying to dissuade ownership from taking them out to the burbs right which it looked awesome yeah we'll see but i appreciate the effort i think but if that kills that grass and they no longer have to play on it, then good, because it's terrible. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if someone could maybe uh, bring us up to speed on this. If that is glass on the top and you get sunlight in there, is that enough to, to grow maybe something better because you can keep the climate better inside the dome? I don't know. Maybe, maybe the UV rays or whatever that it needs don't make it through the glass, but I don't, you're right. I hate turf fields, but that whatever they do there has to change. 
It's they awful. Absolutely have to change it. Green yeah. Bay somehow does it. I know they've got the the heated field. Chicago should do at least that. Yeah, I figure it out. Chicago, but um, it's it it's bad in August. It's bad all year round. It's just shitty grass, man. I, you do not play football on tall fescue, okay? <laughs> I don't. I, I think that's what that is. I don't know, but it's that's, not what you play football on. That's for the second cut of rough at the U.S. Open, okay? <laughs> right. That's what exactly. it's for. Uh, I also thought about going with Julio Jones for my winner of the week. Now, he's getting up there, man, and certainly was not productive in Tennessee, but if anyone can rejuvenate his career, if there's anyone that can help him find the fountain of youth, it's Tom Brady, and he signed with the Buccaneers. So we'll see, but yeah, teaming up, Mike Evans, Godwin, a couple other really good pieces. On that offense, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like, but if anyone's going to get production out of Julio Jones, who used to be the best wide receiver in the entire National Football League, I I feel like Tom Brady can do it. On paper, Julio Jones, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin looks like the best wide receiver core in the, in the NFL, doesn't it? On paper, just name-wise. Oh, yeah. You no, know, Julio Jones isn't what he used to be, but... I, you're right. Tom Brady has a when everyone feels like they have a chance to win a Super Bowl, it changes the way guys prepare and the way guys attack a season. And, you know, you could see some good stuff from Julio Jones. Yeah. But my winner of the week, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. Because he came out at Big Ten Media Days with his chest puffed out and he let the people know. He said, hey, man, we'll be able to provide content all the way from the morning into the night now that we got USC and UCLA. Talked about the conference expanding further, right? Said they're going to be strategic, but they will take a bold approach to that whole thing. Even gave some people some, some universities he thought would add value. Obviously, Notre Dame, but threw Oregon out there, Washington, Stanford, Cal, Miami, Florida State, just you know, just throw it out, put it all out there, Ted. And you talk about a guy whose reputation has changed in a two-year uh, period of time. Man, Kevin Ward's feeling good right now, feeling real good. Yeah, that's crazy. It, like, whenever you throw out a list like that, whenever you're a commissioner, that, you don't throw lists out for no reason, right? Correct. Like that doesn't happen just out of nowhere. And here's the thing. And, you know, I talked about this way back whenever USC and UCLA first announced that I thought Oregon, Washington and Stanford. And I, I can't I don't know if I said Cal or not, but someone else was going to go to the Big Ten. Like, if that happens. The only option is for the Pac-12 to merge with the Big 12 because it's dead. Conference is dead, right? So I don't even could, think merge would be the right word at that. That the Big Twelve right. would absorb right what the uh, the carcass left yes, exactly. Absor- that's perfect. But man, you mentioned it, Miami and Florida State. To mention Miami and Florida State and skip right over Clemson is he telling us something? Is Clemson going to the SEC? I, when I saw the list, my first reaction was, oh, 
Here we go. Dabo's going to have something to use to motivate his team. Oh, little old Clemson, we're not good enough. But yeah, that's that's got to be it, right? Because Clemson, Clemson's the brand in the ACC. It is. Because uh, at least football. So yeah, maybe maybe he told us that without telling us, if you know what I'm saying. You can't say that Cal adds value to the Big Ten and then start mentioning ACC teams and not like don't like Clemson doesn't add that wouldn't add value to the big 10. What do you mean? Of course it would. It's, it's the school right now in the ACC that would add the most value. So the fact that he skips it, that's interesting. It is. It definitely is. He also dropped, you know, he just threw it out there. The possibility of a 16 team playoff. Remember that working group that had, Greg Sankey and Bob Bowlesby did all that work, landed on a 12-team CFP, saying that would be best. Well, some things have changed since then. And, hey, maybe all the options are back on the table for consideration. But I, I do think he made it clear that he wants multiple media partners involved in the college football playoff. And that's really not surprising because, remember, this new media rights deal, the Big Ten is about to sign their main media partner is going to be Fox. Now there's, there's going to be other, other people that have a piece of it, but the main partner is Fox. So I, I think he's looking at the situation going, you know, we would, we would like for Fox to have a piece of the college football playoff and for ESPN not to have the entire thing. So we were kind of searching for reasons why they voted against CFP expansion Maybe that's the main one. I don't, I don't know. But I, I found that interesting that he just threw out that 16-team playoff comment. Yeah, he they voted against it last time it was up. And not that he's had a change of heart, but the dynamic has changed and it's changed quickly. And like you can no longer get upset that the SEC is adding teams because you've had to answer and you've added teams yourself. So, yeah, I don't know, man. It just makes you feel like, there's some really big things in the works, right? Yeah. No, it does. You're, sure. I, and if they add all of those teams and I, like we talked about Clemson and a handful of others are left over, maybe go to the SEC. Like you're soon, you're quickly approaching a NFC, AFC type of situation. Yes. That's exactly what it feels like it's headed towards. Yeah. But hey, at least OU's in one of them. That's right. We're, we're in. <laughs> So I, and I will say this, the difference a few years makes, we were roasting Kevin Warren when they kind of acted prematurely and tried to get everyone else to follow him and canceling the 2020 season. We were absolutely roasting that man. And I I still think he, he didn't handle that properly. He didn't, but got a, Got a lot of respect for him. Cutthroat businessman goes and gets UCLA, USC. I think his reputation has has gotten a big boost over these last couple of weeks. I agree. Um, big Ten's on the move. They've got a, a ride still working right now that's going to pay them a ton of money, adding teams, possibly adding more. Life is good in the Big Ten. Yeah. All right, for my loser of the week 
thought about going with Drew Jones. Did you see this? Unbelievable. What? So he was the second overall pick by the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, in this month's MLB draft. Signed a contract that was worth over $8.1 million. And, well, in his first batting practice, somehow injured his shoulder, and they don't know the severity of it, but maybe out for the season. <laughs> like, what? How does that happen? I don't what, know. Was this like the batting practice, like where they go and it's like a photo op batting practice, like what Kyler did? I, you would think it's something like that or a simple, like, just BP session. Wow. That's Nothing crazy. rigorous. I don't know. That's wild. It's wild. I, Trying to overdo it, I guess. Trying to overdo it. Not not a good way to start the professional career. Dang. Yeah. Well, at least he got the $8 million deal signed already. Yeah. All right. But my loser of the week, the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the independent study addendum in Kyler Murray's contract is very, very weird. And say what you want about Kyler, but I, I have no idea why the, the Cardinals will do, would do that. That is, that is a conversation for behind closed doors. If you aren't happy with the way he prepares for games, you talk to him about it. Hell, you could even fine him. You don't put it in the contract language that you know people are going to read through. It embarrasses Kyler. It makes your organization look like dumbasses. It alters the way other players in the league think about him, including his teammates. There are no winners by putting the independent study addendum in the deal. Ted, help me understand. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm missing something. Help me understand. I'll help you understand. Okay. Um, I think this is a, a, a multifaceted problem. The first problem is probably in, in, in good negotiation and good like, faith, Kingsbury probably has said uh, he's got a high ceiling. I love the kid. We need him. He can be unbelievable in this league. But in order to take that next step at this level, he he's going there's going to have to be another level of investment on his part like and you know one of the things about kyler and i think this is one of the amazing things about kyler is he's gotten this far really just kind of winging it almost you know and when you if you've heard lincoln riley talk about his preparation like he was never really thrilled with even i mean kyler has said publicly that He's not a guy that watches a ton of film. He's talked about it and talked right. about, you know, kind of, he has just gift. He kind of can just anticipate the way things are going to happen and stuff like, but to put it in the contract for everyone to see, I just, well, here's the other part of that. Like, I think that that was a, like an honest, a, a, an honest negotiating talk from Kingsbury where, Hey man, if we're good, like, if you're going to sign this type of deal, like here's what's expected of you. I think GM wise putting that in the contract is like a aha moment because if you have that in the contract and now it's public 
guess what? When a player doesn't perform, where is where where is the uh, criticism going to go? I typically it would go well. They need to surround him with better players, or this system doesn't work, and you know they're not they're not you know trying to get the best out of his abilities. There's better things that he could be doing now because this is out. It goes to he's not doing the work off the field to prepare, and it lets lets the franchise off the hook. It's like you're preempting any type of criticism that that may come to you. You're already getting it to where it's going to be directed right at him. Yeah, he's gotten his extension. Now you want people to know so that maybe you are it. You keep your job longer. Situation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Little a- little CYA. Little CYA in there, and I, I doubt that. I doubt that it was a Kingsbury thing to put that in there. Maybe it was, but I think it was like, in good faith, like, hey man, like, I, I want you to be the best in the league, and if you if you can give us this, this will be a good step in getting you there. And obviously, that's now blown up because anytime. Anytime Kyler has a bad game, you know exactly what people are going to say now. Right. And and that's my big issue with it. Right. Like I, I think you could come to some sort of agreement without putting it in the contract that you know everyone is going to go through. And you look at it, right? Four hours of they basically hey, you have study hall for four hours. I laughed at the four hours. I yesterday on my radio show. I think I said I bet the average for NFL starting quarterback of independent film study a week is probably 12 hours on their own. Oh, yeah. And that may be low. Yeah. And I I guess they're going to supply him with the material. And then this is the interesting part. I read that they will be monitoring the iPad usage to make sure he's not doing anything on there while he's doing his uh, studying to distract him is this all just because he plays a lot of video games what's it called the phase clan i'm not into that stuff but i know he is i i just feel like the cardinals they they created an issue that could have been avoided yep by putting it officially in the contract i don't know man i i'm i just it's a bad look for everyone you know for everyone like you just gave this guy 160 million guaranteed and now you're like hey here's your homework but it, it i mean it looks bad for kyler at first glance but after you think about it for a minute it's like dude this kid's playing nfl quarterback just signed a, a 46 million a year contract and he doesn't really even prepare like how <laughs> pretty, like seriously how talented. good is he <laughs> talking about just hey yeah kids uh guys pretty talented you know but also i there's part of me like this is in there right and they're going to monitor the ipad usage he should just let full games roll and just play on his phone while he does it he should he should troll them the first week 80 hours of film yeah yeah <laughs> oh my god he watched film for three straight days <laughs> like, oh my god hey we want we want you to cut back we don't think you're sleeping good uh, you're right, doing you- too much kyler we saw that you were logging film study at 3 30 <laughs> uh, uh, i don't know just weird it, it, maybe my biggest issue with it is 
Like Cardinals fans are supposed to be fired up right now, right? Right. You just locked your franchise quarterback in. Everyone's happy. You didn't, you, what, you got to enjoy it for not even a week. We got to enjoy it for like four days. And then this comes out and you're like, oh, awesome. <laughs> I well, just. Hey, I, I think he's going to be just fine. Um, I, you know, if you could get him to put in four hours of real meaningful study a week, more than what he's been doing, I think that could get you some good results. But here's the thing, man, and you, you know this, like, if you don't, like, if you're not interested and you don't really want to do it, to watch it and to really try and learn from it, it's just a waste of time. Yep. Right. If, if you're like, even if you're like paying attention to it, but like, if you're not fully invested and be like, Hey, I need to get this work in, I'm, you know, and, and seriously dive into it and figure out the things that you need to figure out. It's, it's a worthless endeavor. No doubt. All right. On that note, episode two thirty five in the books next week. I think we're going to have Dvorak and we're scheduled to be joined by West Virginia head coach, Neil Brown. Gotta love that, man. That's going to yeah. be awesome. Yeah. So we got, we got some fun stuff lined up. We'll have a new podcast. that will drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from three to six on 94, seven, the ref. You can hear me, hear me on Sirius XM big 12 radio channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend until next time. We appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time.